John 15, 1 through 16 is a very familiar passage about the vine and the branches. But like every passage of Scripture, we must view it in its proper context. What, what, are, what, I, what these verses uh, are about are not just what, is, what we're reading this morning in 15, but what comes before in chapter 14 and what comes after later in the other part of 15 and even into chapter 16. I think you might be surprised this morning as we study this passage what John 15 is actually about. There is one word that best defines this passage, but it is a word that I think is so familiar to you and to many other Christians that it appears, I think, it has, that word has lost much of its impact. We've heard this word so often in Christian circles. I think that it's no longer a word that should make us uncomfortable. It doesn't make us uncomfortable. It doesn't, I think, incite in us vision or passion or excitement like it should. And you know what that word is? That is the word Apple. You know that's not the word, right? (laughs) It is the word mission. Just prior to tens of thousands of men invading Europe on D-Day, June 6, 1944, Dwight D. Eisenhower wrote a letter. He was the supreme allied commander. He wrote a letter to every soldier, and that was read to every soldier just before the invasion. This is what he wrote. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Forces, you are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers in arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. But this is the year 1944. Much has happened since the Nazis' triumphs of 1940 and 41. The United Nations have inflicted upon the Germans great defeats in open battle, man to man. Our air offensive has seriously reduced their strength in the air and their capacity to wage war on the ground. Our home fronts have given us an overwhelming superiority in weapons and munitions of war and placed at our disposal great reserves of trained fighting men. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. And let us all beseech the blessing of the Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. Those are powerful words. Powerful words that were meant to prepare those ready to suffer and die for a just cause. It's interesting in the last verse of chapter 14, 
Jesus says to his disciples, rise, let us go from here. C.H. Dodd in his commentary makes note that the Greek normally, what the normal usage would be and what is behind that rise, let us go from here, is rise, let us go meet the advancing enemy. And as Jesus as arisen from the upper room that is exactly what he's doing. He also makes note at the end of 14, he says that the ruler of this world is coming, but he has no claim on me. Jesus knows what is ahead. And so it is, it is with this in mind, this mission in mind, that we read John 15. It is with the same mission that Jesus is in this farewell address. He is preparing his disciples. And so as we read these words, think about these disciples going forward with Jesus as they meet the advancing enemy. These disciples going forth with Jesus as they are preparing, as they have been prepared in just a a few verses earlier about Jesus dying and leaving them. Verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name he may give it to you these things I command you so that you will love one another 
this farewell discourse is really about mission. Yeah, it is about abiding. It is about loving. But it is overarching theme of this farewell discourse starting later in chapter 13 and working all the way through 17. It is about what God has set us apart for. It is about mission. Because he loves his disciples, Jesus gives them this farewell address to prepare them for what lies ahead with all that stands before Jesus in just a few hours. He will be crucified in just a few hours. He will die for the sins of the world in just a few hours. He will suffer for us in just a few hours. He prepares these men and encourages these men so that they will remain steadfast. Because he knows what lies ahead for them. And because he loves them so dearly, he wants to get them ready. Even as they leave the upper room, they have arisen. They're leaving the upper room. They're making their way down through the Kidron Valley and through and up to the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. He wants to make sure that when they encounter what is just about to happen, they won't falter. They won't falter. As Jesus prepares to leave them, he prepares them to carry on his work with powerful and challenging words in verse 15. He summons them to true discipleship and mission. That's what this passage is about. He is summoning his disciples to true discipleship and mission. And if we Jump forward 2,100 years as we read these words that have been breathed out by God, that have been given to us to inspire us. He is preparing us to be true disciples. He is preparing us and challenging us and summoning us to true discipleship and mission. Here's my proposition statement for this passage. A true disciple of Jesus Christ bears much fruit and much blessing because he abides in him. A true disciple of Jesus Christ bears much fruit and much blessing because he abides in him. Over the next number of weeks, we're going to be talking about from John 15 through John 16, the importance of mission, the cost of mission, and the resources for mission. A true disciple of Jesus Christ bears much fruit and much blessing because he abides in him. Jesus' farewell message is asking a simple question of his disciples in this passage. Are you a true disciple? And the bridge that 
brings us to this day and age, 2100 years later, is asking us the same question when we read it. Are we true disciples? Are you a true disciple? And as we read John 15, it is clear that not everyone is a true disciple. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He takes away. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Not every person is a true disciple. Jesus wants us to abide in him in the same way he abides in his father. And as we'll see in this passage, Jesus is the vine where all life flows from. But his father is the vine dresser who ensures that the vine remains faithful and grows as he intends. Verses 1 through 8 are actually a parable. It is the parable of the vine and the branches. And he uses the grapevine illustration to teach us a crucial spiritual truth to determine whether or not we are true disciples. Vine imagery was very common in this culture and more importantly, very common in the Old Testament with regards to Israel. And the disciples would understand this. As the disciples are listening to Jesus, as they're making their way through the Kidron Valley, as they're making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, vine imagery is, is everywhere in Israel. Even over the temple, the temple entranceway, there is, there are, there is vine imagery. The image of the vine served as the supreme symbol of Israel in Isaiah 5 7, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. Sadly, though, when you read through the Old Testament, whenever historic Israel is referred to as a vine, it is a reference of failure to produce the fruit that God had required. It is very sad. In Psalm 80, verse 8, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Speaking of Israel here, when then, why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Look down from heaven and see and have regard for this vine. And then he goes on to say, they have burned it with fire. They have cut it down because it has become a wild vine. Israel failed in the role that God had given her. 
He, she had failed in the role to fulfill being a light to the Gentiles. Isaiah 49.6 speaks of Israel being called to be a light to the Gentiles, to bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. And now centuries later, Israel is a wild and unfruitful vine. But, as we read in John 15, oh, God's redemptive purposes always triumph. Because as Israel has become the failed vine, as Israel has become the wild vine, as Israel has become the vine that produces no fruit, Jesus stands among the people of Israel and says this, the last of his I am statements, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. And now let me tell you what that means for you. Because in contrast to Israel's failure, in contrast to them being a fruitless vine, Jesus comes and redeems their failure and becomes a fruitful vine, which brings forth good and lasting fruit. And that good and lasting fruit is sitting in this room this morning. How we relate as branches to the vine is of eternal importance. Now, verses 1 through 8 are the parable. Verses 9 through 17 are the exposition that explain the parable of the vine. Three main points this morning. The first main point is this. A true disciple, a true disciple, is one who abides in Jesus... A true disciple is one who abides in Jesus in the same way he abides in his Father. A true disciple is one who abides in Jesus in the same way he abides in his Father. Now, 11 times in this passage... Jesus uses the word abide. You will find in John 15, 1 through 17, so many repetitive uses of phrases and words. 11 times abide. Six times he uses the phrase in me. Eight times he uses the word my love. My joy, my friends, my father, my love. Again and again and again. A true disciple is the one who abides in Jesus in, 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 Jesus in the same way he abides in his father. Branches derive their life from the vine. And the vine produces fruit through the branches. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 
6. Well, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Verse Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You get the picture painted here, don't you? (laughs) There is a reason for our abiding in him. And it's simple. Jesus says, you have no life if you do not abide in me. You do not have any sustenance. You do not have any life at all. There's nothing that we can do to live apart from being attached to the vine. We are branches. And Jesus is the vine. It's where all of life flows from. J.C. Ryle, in his commentary on John, and this morning you will hear a little more from J.C. because he has said things so well. He says this. He says, "The The union between the branch of a vine and the main stem is the closest that can be conceived. It is the whole secret of the branch's life, strength, vigor, beauty, and fertility. Separate from the parent stem, it has no life of its own. The sap and juice that flow from the stem are the origin and maintaining power of all its leaves, buds, blossoms, and fruit. Cut off the stem, it most soon wither and die. The union between Christ and believers is just as close and just as real. In themselves, believers have no life, strength, or spiritual power. All that they have of vital religion comes from Christ. They are what they are and they feel what they feel and do what they do because they draw out of Jesus a continual supply of grace, help, and ability. Let me read that again. They are what they are and they feel what they feel and they do what they do because they draw out of the vine, out of Jesus, a continual supply of grace, help, and ability. Joined to the Lord by faith and united in mysterious union with Him by the Spirit, they stand and walk and continue and run the Christian race. But every jot of good about them is drawn from their spiritual head, Jesus Christ. We abide because we do not have life without Him. Another reason for abiding is that we bear fruit. We are to bear much fruit. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in me, abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, verse 5, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. It, it, is, it is imperative here in verse, in verse 4. Abide in me. That's an imperative. That's a command. Jesus is, is commanding you. He's summoning you each, each saying, abide in me. 
You are to bear fruit. That is what abiding does. Don't try living for Christ apart from intimate union with Him. Don't try living apart and expecting life. Again, J.C. Ryle. Now comes the direct instruction which our Lord desired the disciples to receive. Abide in me. Cling to me. Stick fast to me. Live the life of close and intimate communion with me. Get nearer and nearer to me. Roll every burden on me. Cast your whole weight on me. Never let go your hold on me for a moment. Be, as it were, rooted and planted in me. Do this and I will never fail you. I will ever abide in you. You cannot bear Christian fruit and walk in Christian ways and live a Christian life except you keep up constant and intimate communion with me. Jesus explains abiding in verse 7 and 9 and 10 as he exposits this parable of the vine in verse 7. Seven, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So, so the first thing we want to understand about abiding is that it is God's word that abides in us. Brothers and sisters, this is all we have to know about Christ. This is all we have when we talk about preaching the gospel to ourselves and seeing the gospel invade our lives, our hearts and our minds. This is what we have. His words. It was His words He was giving to His disciples before the most horrific moment in all of human history. It was His words that He was speaking to them that they may not falter. That they might abide in Him as He moves on to ascending into heaven. They would abide in Him. It is His words. Abide in my words. In verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Listen, it's not just about obedience, it's not just about producing this behavioral Christian life. It's about living in the intimate union with me because I love you. Abide in my love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And then he expands on that further. If you keep my commandments, you will abide. So abide in his word so that you know his commandments. And if you want to abide in his love, what do you do? You keep his commandments. And that is the groundwork of what 
maintains intimate union with Christ. Keep his commandments the very way he has kept his father's commandments. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. He has kept his father's commandments. He has obeyed his father's words. And that obedience leads him in just a few hours to the cross. That's how willing he was to obey his father. That's how much he loved his father that he obeyed to the point of the cross. A true disciple is one who abides in Jesus in the same way that Jesus abides in his father. Secondly, a true disciple is one who bears good fruit for Jesus in the same way Jesus bears good fruit for his father. A true disciple, a true disciple, true being the operative word, is the one who bears good fruit for Jesus in the same way Jesus bears good fruit for his father. Now in verse 2, the role of the father is the heavenly gardener. And it's a twofold role. First, as we read in verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the heavenly gardener, my father, the vine dresser, if it does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So he takes away branches that do not bear fruit. That is the role of the father. He gets rid of a branch that does not have its life in Christ. That's a serious warning in this passage. He takes away branches that don't bear fruit. Now, a true disciple is, is a person who is making their way towards Christ. In other words, you are born again. You are making your way towards Christ. But sometimes our making our way towards Christ is slow and arduous. It is like Pilgrim on the road in Pilgrim's Progress as he makes his way to the celestial city and he gets sidetracked at times and it is painful at times. But he is making his way there. That is a true disciple. And here, a true disciple is one who bears fruit, but a, a false disciple is one who is bearing no fruit and the vine dresser cuts off. He takes away the branches that do not bear fruit. In fact, verse 6 goes further and, and speaks of judgment. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch 
and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Jesus is speaking of eternal judgment for those who are not true disciples. And standing in the background of this conversation here is one that the disciples know well. Judas Iscariot. Who lived with Jesus. Who was loved by Jesus. He traveled with Jesus. He was cared for by Jesus. He heard the words of Jesus. He saw the miracles of Jesus. And yet, he is one who experienced the eternal judgment of God. This is a warning. D.A. Carson says this, the transparent purpose of the verse is to insist that there are no true Christians without some measure of fruit. Fruitfulness is an infallible mark of true Christianity. There are no true Christians without some measure of fruit. The procedure, and, and, and that is what that is what is critical to being a true disciple, that we are bearing fruit. Now, secondly, God doesn't just cut away branches that don't bear fruit. He also prunes branches so that they bear good fruit. Now, the procedure of pruning is painful. I... I'm not the best at pruning. I have pruned bushes for Marilyn in the past. We had a crepe myrtle in our yard and she asked me to prune it once and I did. I pruned it and I thought I was pruning it and she looked at it and pretty much most of it was gone. So she started calling me a crepe murderer. And <laughs> I can imagine the pain that that poor plant was going through. Now, Hebrews 12 describes this as discipline. Psalm 119, David said, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Sometimes pruning, the pain of pruning is because of our sins. Sometimes it is because simply God wants us to bear more fruit. He prunes us that we would bear more fruit. But I know because pruning is painful, I want to avoid it. I don't like it when God prunes me. I like my branches just the way they are. And God sees something different. I would much rather prune myself if I have to be pruned. A little snip here, a little snip there, but I can't. I love in C.S. Lewis's The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, one of the characters, Eustace Scrub. He is a irritating, selfish little boy who creates havoc for everybody. He is turned into a dragon because of his way of life, his selfishness. And he, he comes to his senses and he realizes what he is and what he has done. And he wants to try and remove the scales, the dragon scales from him. And he can't. And every time he tries, it just isn't possible. But finally, Aslan comes and Eustace describes this pruning ordeal in 
voyage of the Dawn Treader. He goes, this is what the lion said, but I don't know if he spoke. You'll have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, and I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate. So I just lay flat on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right to my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off it, it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. That's God pruning us. We can't prune ourselves but to make us fruitful, to pull off the scales. There is, at the end, as Eustace would say, the pleasure of it coming off. And there is, in our lives, the pleasure of much fruit. So that is how it is with pruning. It's painful. But... Kent Hughes said this in his commentary about pruning, and I love this. He said, God's hand is never closer than when he prunes the vine. You watch a a man prune a vine in a vineyard, and I've seen it. He has a little clipper, and he lifts, and he's close to the vine. It's not what you see on the side of the road when these guys have these 60-foot chainsaws going and whipping out the side of the trees. That's, that's not the kind of pruning that we're talking about here. It's an intimate pruning that we would bear much fruit. And all of this is done that we might bear fruit so that God is glorified. Look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples, to be a true disciple. And so to be a true disciple, to bear much fruit, you must be pruned. And it proves our being true disciples. Now, this can be hard for some Christian. It might seem as though I'm saying you have to earn God's favor by abiding in him and, and bearing fruit. But this is not what Jesus is, is saying. He has made it clear that our salvation is from him. Look at verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. He is speaking about their cleansing. They have become Christians. They are already born again. He also, in verse 16, makes it clear, I, you did not choose me, but I chose you. That our salvation doesn't rest in our behavior. It doesn't rest in our good works. It rests in God choosing us. It rests in God cleaning us by his word. That's where our salvation comes from. But to prove that we are saved, we must bear fruit. To prove that we are true disciples, we must abide in him. Abide in his word. Abide in his love. We can so easily throw out the word legalism without biblically understanding what it means. If we mean someone is saying that my behavior is what determines my salvation, yes, then yes, that is legalism. But if we mean that I feel pressured by friends to be obedient to Christ, to keep my commitment to Christ, to keep my involvement in this church here, to to keep bearing fruit, to produce 
then no, that's not legalism. You're simply experiencing church life in what is called fellowship. Somebody invading your life because they love you and care for you. So that God will be glorified in you and you will bear much fruit. Again, J.C. Ryle says this. He says, lessons like, he's talking about John 15, lessons like these may seem legal or legalistic to some and bring down much blame on those who advocate them. Such is the narrow-mindedness of human nature that few can look on more than one side of truth. Let the servant of Christ call no man his master. Let him hold on his way and never be ashamed of diligence and fruitfulness and jealous watchfulness in his obedience to Christ's commands. These things are perfectly consistent with salvation by grace and justification by faith, whatever one may say to the contrary. God the Father is glorified in our fruit bearing because it means we are living like Christ. It means we are obedient disciples who bear fruit that remains. Verse 16, the fruit that he wants us to bear that remains beyond this fruit of obedience and faithfulness and proving our our discipleship. He wants us to bear, look at verse 16, he wants us to bear fruit that remains. And that's where this passage is so mission-oriented. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go. Those are the echoes of Matthew 28. Go into all the world that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or remain. He's talking about new converts. He's talking about this is why. You are here. This is why you have been chosen. This is why I have appointed you. That you would go and bear fruit. If you are a true disciple, brothers and sisters, you are going and you are bearing fruit. Fruit that remains. And thirdly, A true disciple is one who is blessed by Jesus. A true disciple is one who is blessed by Jesus. Many are the blessings, brothers and sisters, of those who abide in Christ, who bear fruit for Christ, and prove to be his disciples. Many are the blessings. The first one is, look at verse 7. It is the blessing of answered prayer. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, remember that prayer, that praying is not, oh, Lord, I'm abiding in you. I want a new Mercedes. Lord, I want season tickets for every game to the Nats. Lord, no one's asking for Redskin tickets, but Lord, I... (laughs) I... That is not what is behind asking whatever you wish. He's talking about asking whatever you wish in response to what is God's perfect will. What is God's will for us? And that is, if you abide in me and my words, my words, 
my words, that is what behind, what's behind the answering of prayer. And then if you go over to verse um, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. Again, it's answered prayer in relation to mission. Brothers and sisters, the the blessing of seeing someone come to faith in Christ is unmistakable. Throughout the years that I, the 16 years that I led the Alpha Course in Charlotte and in Atlanta, and the numbers of individuals I had the joy of praying with and seeing come into faith in Christ and added to the church and the lives that were changed and the joy that they experienced. Christmas and Easter were never the same to them. Life was never the same to them. Those are the prayers we should be praying. Oh Lord, let this invitation be fruitful that they may hear the gospel. The blessing of answered prayer. God promises, I will answer your prayer. There's also the blessing of why we exist in the first place. The blessing of God being glorified. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. It is why we exist at the, the pinnacle of all that we read and study, all that we sing about, all that we do at Grace Church, all that we do as believers, all that we do to prove our discipleship, all that we do to obey his commands is all for the glory of God. It is why Jesus died on the cross. It is why he obeyed his father's commands. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy? It was the glory of God. He glorified his father. And he continues to glorify his father through us. We are the fruit of the gospel. We are the fruit that Jesus has borne. And every time we sing and praise and raise our hands, he is glorified and he is glorified through the fruit that Jesus bore. That is the blessing. There's also the blessing of having his joy Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you. That, that alone is worth an entire message. These things. Jesus has spoken to us. Jesus continues to speak to us. His word continues to speak to us. These things I have spoken to you that my joy... The joy that I have in being obedient to God, the joy that I have in glorifying God, the joy that I have, that joy, I want it to be in you. And I want it to be full. 
Earlier in chapter 13, he said, I am giving you my peace. In 1510, he said, I am, want you to abide in my love. And now he wants you to abide in my joy. And then he goes on in verse 14 to say, not only is it my peace, not only is it my love, not only is it my joy, but I want you to know something else. You are my friends. You are my friends. That's what it means to be a true disciple. We are friends with God. No longer are we servants. We don't know what God is doing, but we have the blessing of knowing God's will. Look at verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You see, there's another if you do what I command you. You are my friends. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. You're just not a slave who does the master's bidding regardless of what it is you're doing, you you know, you you know what you've been called to. You're his friends. To know God's will, there's a world out there that has no idea what God wants, that has no idea what God's will for their lives are, that has no idea And they live from moment to moment and emptiness to emptiness because they are not friends. In concluding, the parable tells us a story of a loving and caring heavenly gardener who remains close to the branches to ensure that they live well and live fruitfully. It is also a story of the sheer dependence the branches have on the vine and all that the vine provides to the branches. It tells the story of a gardener and how much the gardener loves the branches and what a great sacrifice has been made so they could live. Live in peace, live in his love, live in his joy, live as his friends. Jesus has prepared the way for his disciples so they would understand what is about to come. He's prepared them well for what he's summoned summoned them to do. That's the importance of the mission. And he has prepared you well, brothers and sisters. He has prepared you well. that That is what Grace Church is here for. We are here to be true disciples. We are here for the importance of the mission, that God would be glorified. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this morning, we pray this morning that your word would, where appropriate, reprove us where appropriate would correct us, where appropriate train us in righteousness and where appropriate teach us. Lord, please penetrate us this morning with hope 
that you give us in your word with the words that say you are our friend. We are your friend. Lord, help us to leave with that in mind. You've given us so much. Lord, my prayer for this sweet church is that their joy would be full today and every day following for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.